Today is Palm Sunday, when Christians throughout the world rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, We think about the story where Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the people waved palm branches, and they welcomed their king. And then we keep reading the story, and and not much later, uh, they hand him over to the Romans and say, uh, we want him to be crucified. And it leaves you thinking, what? Uh, how, can, how can they at one moment just welcome Jesus as their king and be so excited, and then just a few weeks later, we give you up to the Romans, we're disillusioned, uh, you're not our king. Well, a fundamental reason that happened is because the kingdom that Jesus Christ offered is not the kingdom that they wanted. Now, the Jewish people had a very clear concept of the kingdom of God in their minds. And so they were at first extremely excited when Jesus showed up on the scene and said, I have arrived, which means the kingdom of God has come. And so there was a lot of enthusiasm early on for Jesus and his ministry, and they they recognized in his miracles Wow, the power of God is at work. And in fact, there had never been, in in Israel's history, there had probably never been a a moment in history when they were more longing uh, for the kingdom of God to come. The problem was, when they thought of the kingdom of God, they thought primarily of the kingdom and not so much about God. They were... They were wanting to go back to the glory days of David and Solomon. They wanted to be an autonomous, powerful nation that was materially well off. That's what they thought. Now, Daniel, the prophet, had foretold a coming kingdom of God. In Daniel chapter 7, this hundreds of years before Christ was born, Daniel said, wrote, I saw in the night visions... And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And for hundreds of years the Jews had read this and prayed, God, please! Send the Messiah, send that king, establish your kingdom on earth. And boy, that that longing was so great in Jesus' day because the Romans occupied the promised land and, and the people of God were a subjugated people. And you know what? Frankly, if I'm honest with myself, uh, I'm glad I didn't live back then because I tend to think I would have been like them. I think I would have had a hard time not, in, not assuming that the kingdom of God meant the Romans were going to get kicked out, Israel was going to become free again, would be powerful and wealthy and have a seat at the world's tables. I, I would have been longing for that, right? How could you not? So Jesus shows up and says, the kingdom of God has arrived. And, and so the Israelites originally were very enthusiastic. In fact, we read in John chapter 6, verse 15, that they were so excited that at one point they tried to forcibly make Jesus king. 
John chapter 6, verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. See that? The nationalistic fervor, the Jesus is the Messiah. Why isn't he, you know, rising up and, and kicking out the rosen? Let's just help him out. Let's go force him to be who he is and to, you know, take his destiny. But Jesus uh, refused. And the kingdom of God that Jesus spoke about is not the kingdom that the Jews were, were looking forward to. And as a result, they eventually became disillusioned with him and he, because he wasn't offering what they were looking for. And so then there's the climactic moment when Pontius Pilate says, I can release to you either Jesus or I can release to you Barabbas, who's kind of a troublemaker. And they say, give us Barabbas and kill Jesus. So what is the nature of Christ's kingdom? If he didn't come to bring the kingdom of God as the Jews understood it to be, what did he bring? What is the kingdom that Christ brought? And so that's the question I want us to grapple with today. And to do that, please turn to your Bibles, in your Bibles, to John chapter 18. We're going to look at the uh, interchange between Jesus and Pontius Pilate when Jesus is interrogating, I'm sorry, well, actually kind of Jesus was interrogating him, but Pilate was interrogating Jesus and uh, trying to figure out if Jesus is a threat to Caesar, and we learn a bit about the nature of the kingdom. John chapter 18, I'm going to read verses 28 to 40, and as I read, I will make some textual comments, and then we'll jump into the topic of today. John chapter 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. Who's the they? Uh, This is the Sanhedrin, the 71 leaders of Israel. Caiaphas is the high priest. And they're bringing him to Pontius Pilate's house. Why? Well, because they wanted to kill Jesus. And the Jews, even though Rome gave uh, the Jews a lot of autonomy, and they were allowed to uh, have their own law, and they were allowed to judge their own people, Rome reserved for itself capital punishment. So the, the one thing that the Jewish leaders could not do is kill someone. And so if they wanted to kill someone, which they did uh, Jesus, they had to go and get Roman approval. And so that's why they've just had their uh, trial of Jesus, right? The Jews have had their trial, and they have said, you deserve to die. And now they're going to Pilate to get the Romans to do that for them. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. This is the supreme irony in the world. Uh, They don't want to enter into Pilate's house because he's a Gentile and that would make them ceremoniously unclean and the Passover's come and they want to hang out with their families and enjoy this great religious feast. So we're going to we're going to stand outside your house Pilate make you come to us so that we don't become uh ceremoniously unclean. And yet is there anything more uh damaging to, to your soul than to haul the son of the living God off to be killed? <laughs> they are become this act makes them supremely uh impure spiritually. What an irony. Verse 29, so Pilate went outside to them and said, 
What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. So Pilate comes out and says, All right, uh, I'm going to now judge whether this guy is worthy of death. And the Jews are saying, Don't, let's not retry this guy. Just trust us. We've already uh, determined that he is guilty and that he's a danger. Would you just, you know, let our ruling stand and, and kill this guy? Pilate said to them, and I'm sure Pilate knew that's what they wanted. Pilate said, well, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. In other words, you, know, you guys, you can judge this guy. He's a Jew. The Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death, right? We're here because we want this guy killed, and we can't do that, and so we want you to do it for us. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus had said, when the Son of Man is lifted up, he was uh, describing a death by crucifixion. And the Jews never crucified. They stoned people to death. And so it had to be the Romans who would kill Jesus. Verse 33, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, so the Jews have left. And apparently the Jews have informed Pilate. They've given him their reasons why they think Jesus needs to die. And basically it's this. Jesus claims to be king of the Jews. And if he's king of the Jews, that means he is uh, setting himself up in opposition to Caesar. And and he's going to foment a rebellion. And so you've got to kill this guy off. Otherwise, you're not a friend of Caesar's. So Pilate calls Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? I love this. Pilate, have you observed my miracles, considered my teachings and concluded, wow, maybe Jesus is the Messiah? Or are you just regurgitating what somebody else has told you without really looking at the evidence. And that's a challenge for all of us, isn't it? How many of us just uh, regurgitate uh, what other people's opinions about Jesus? And God wants us, is challenging us to examine the evidence. Is Jesus who he really says he is? And so if you are, if you have rejected Christ's claim to be king, uh, have you done it because you've really examined the evidence? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? So he's saying, who you are, whether you're king of the Jews is irrelevant to me. I'm not a Jew. Who cares if you're the king king of the Jews? Why would I be concerned about that? Well, we as readers know Jesus is not just king of king, a king of the Jews. He's king of all people. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And who Jesus is, is of supreme eternal Uh, importance to Pilate, right? And to all of us. Maya Jew, your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? You know, you've you've made the the leaders of of Israel scared enough to want to kill you. You've got to have done something. I'm trying to figure that out. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And we'll talk more about that, because here he's talking about the nature of his kingdom. 
but essentially he's saying, uh, Caesar has nothing to fear from me. Because I'm not trying to get a seat at the, at the table of world powers. I'm not trying to carve out territory for myself or an economy or build an army. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. So Pilate has one question on his mind. Are you a threat to Rome? Are you setting yourself up uh, in competition with Caesar? Are you going to foment a rebellion? So he's fixated on this. Are you a king? And in, you know, obviously in, in Pilate's mind and everybody else's mind, if you're a king, then you must have an earthly kingdom or you're trying to establish an earthly kingdom. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. I like that. Obviously, Pilate used an interrogative tone of voice. So you are a king. And Jesus you know, takes him literally. You say that I am a king. In other words, because he's just spoken the truth. Jesus is a king. Uh, others say that what Pilate means, or Jesus means here is, if you insist on using that language, yes, I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Implication, Pilate, are you on the side of truth? Because if you are, you'd be listening to me. And Pilate deflects that by saying, what is truth? What's truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. This shows you uh, the heart of the Jewish people at that point. We're so, we have so lost interest in Jesus because he doesn't offer us what we want. We would rather have a robber uh, out in our society running free than Jesus of Nazareth. Well, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And with his arrival, the kingdom of God did inaugurate. And so what is that kingdom? And boy, we don't want to be like the Jewish people who are so enamored with this world that the kingdom of God is of no interest to us. Let me say that again. We do not want to be like the Jewish people who were so enamored with this world that, they, that the kingdom of God was of no interest to them. How tragic that is. The kingdom of God is present, and we can enter into it, and we can partake of its life, and we can experience its joys, but we must value it. What is the nature of Christ's kingdom? Jesus Christ's kingdom is the kingdom of God. Got to understand that. This is the kingdom that the, that the uh, prophets foretold. This is the kingdom that will never end. And it has begun. Jesus, when he began his ministry, claimed the kingdom of God has come upon you. Mark chapter 1, verse four, uh, 14 and 15. Verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
After Jesus rose from the dead, he was still teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Jesus presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus had one major theme during his ministry, and it was the kingdom of God. Think about all, how many times do you read in the scriptures? The kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. The problem was, not the problem, but the kingdom of God that Jesus taught was uh, completely different from the kingdom of God that was uh, conceived of in the minds of, of the Jews at that time. Jesus says that his miracles are a demonstration of the power of the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 11, verse 20. He casts out a demon and Jesus says, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So these are Jewish people and, and uh, Roman soldiers are still marching through the land and Jesus is going around saying the kingdom of God is here right now. It's present. You, you, the cognitive dissonance, you see, they're what? what? How is this possible? Because they're so fixated on the kingdom, they're forgetting the of God part. And then finally, this one where Jesus is asked by the Pharisees, you know, when's the kingdom of God going to come? And Jesus tells him it's, it's here right now because I'm the king. And wherever the king is, there is the kingdom. Luke 17, 21. Or 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Christ is the king. So first off, it is the kingdom of Christ is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom that will last forever and ever and ever. And Jesus Christ is the king of the kingdom of God on earth. Do we, do we hear in the voice of Jesus, the voice of God? Do we recognize in the face of Christ, the face of God himself? God has come near to us. Secondly, Jesus Christ's kingdom is not of this world. That's what he tells uh, Pilate. Verse 36, John 18, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would have fought to keep me out of the hands of the Jews. Well, if his kingdom is not of the world, then what, what, what is it? Well, right now it's spiritual. It's a kingdom that lives within the hearts of people. The Jews misunderstood their enemy. The Jews thought that the, the enemy to the abundant life was the Roman soldier. The enemy to the abundant life is Satan, right? The one who seeks to lie to us and keep us back from uh, re relating to God. But the kingdom of God uh, is, is so much bigger than just the kingdoms of earth. The kingdom of God we, it has faith, hope, and love. It, it involves a relationship with God. It re involves truth. And when we, when we are in the kingdom, enjoying, enjoying the fruits of the kingdom, what are the fruits? Love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's what we want, right? But we, we make the mistake of thinking if I can get a worldly kingdom, then I can enjoy love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. But, but when we enter into the kingdom of God, no matter where we live on planet Earth, no matter who is our earthly uh, king, no matter which political party is in charge, we can be solidly dwelling in the kingdom of God and enjoying its fruits. Praise God. Number three, Jesus' kingdom exists wherever Jesus rules. Uh, the nature of a kingdom is we all bow the knee to that particular king. And so where, whenever, uh, whenever someone bows the knee to Jesus Christ, they enter the kingdom of God. Faith in the Son of the living God, faith in the king, is how you enter the kingdom of God. But how we dwell in the kingdom, moment by moment, day by day, is by obeying the king, following his teachings. This is what Jesus teaches us in John chapter 14, verse 21 to 23. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to Jesus, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Because So you hear Judas going, come on, we want the whole world to know that you're king. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. There it is. Keep my commandments. Let me be ruler of your life, and the father and I will come and dwell with you. And that's the essence of the kingdom is fellowship with God, dwelling with God. And right now we can do that. We can have a personal relationship with God and, 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 and all of the fruits of that relationship. And so if you have, um, we enter the kingdom by bowing the knee to Christ and, say, and becoming Christians. But then we, we hang out in the kingdom. We dwell in the kingdom. We enjoy the kingdom as we grant more and more control of our life over to Jesus Christ. And so to any area in my life that is not yet fully conformed to the image of Christ, where I'm being stubborn, I'm missing out in that area of my life. I'm missing out on the kingdom and, and its joys. Number four, Jesus Christ's kingdom is bound up with truth. You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is on the side of truth listens to my voice. Jesus bears witness to the truth. What does it mean? It means he points the truth out. There it is. There it is. Uh, I've got here, a, a think of a lineup, like a police lineup. And, and you're thinking... Which one is it? Who is it? And Jesus says, it's number two. Oh, really? I thought maybe it was number three or number four. Nope, it's number two. He bears witness. Or here's a Where's Waldo drawing. Right? And you look at a Where's Waldo drawing, like, Where the, where's Waldo? And Jesus said, it's right there. And once you see Waldo, you're, ah, okay. Jesus bears witness to the truth. He points out the truth for us. Why? Because 
Otherwise, how would we know? The scientific method is limited in the truth that it can uncover. It can uncover uh, natural truth, but what about uh, metaphysical truth? And there's a lot of it. We need, so- we need someone, not of this world, a heavenly man, to come and say, all right, I'm going to bear witness to the truth so that you can pick it out from all of the competition. We've got, we've got an evil one in the world who is spinning his web of lies and creating, uh, trying to confuse us, creating the where, where, where's Waldo drawings. And, and people are walking around confused. Well, Jesus said, I've come to bear witness to the truth, to point it out, and you just listen to me, and then you will know what is true. Everyone who is on the side of truth listens to my voice. Uh, The more that we walk, here's the principle, the more that we walk in truth, the more we abide in Christ's kingdom. Boy, this is a principle you've got to get. Get this. It uh, It will drastically change your life if you've not gotten this. Be a person of truth. And this is more than just don't lie, but that's very important. Refuse to go there. Because every time you choose to lie, you exit the kingdom of God for that moment. I mean, it's not like you'd stop becoming a Christian, but you're not benefiting from uh, the, the joys of the kingdom. And, and this is also why it's important to have a Christian worldview. Because every time we, we buy into a lie, right in that, in that part of our thinking, in that part of our life, we are not... Uh, uh, inhabiting the kingdom of God. So, for example, give you a kind of a culturally revel- relevant one. You know, uh, the Bible is very clear. God created people, male or female. And right now, it's becoming increasingly popular to think of gender as something fluid or something I choose, right? Sure, maybe I was born uh, a male, but I'm going to choose uh, to be of a different gender. Well, That's not in accordance with the truth. And so if you buy into that and live out of that, in that part of your life, you're not inhabiting the kingdom. And so uh, it benefits us. The Bible says, don't be conformed uh, to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, God is saying, you know what, the world... has a different way of thinking. And if you're not actively challenging that and actively transforming your thinking according to the truth given you by your Lord Jesus Christ, your mind is going to, uh, you're going to buy into a bunch of lies and that's going to take you, uh, you're not going to be able to dwell as fully in the kingdom of Christ and enjoy its uh, bounty. Finally, Jesus Christ's kingdom awaits a final consummation. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, we are told, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Jesus is going to return. He inaugurated the kingdom of God in his first coming, and he will consummate the kingdom of God in his second coming. Now, here's a verse you should memorize. Revelation 11:15. Thinking about the future. 
Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That that is a day that all Christians long for. When the kingdom of the world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Right now, the kingdom of God is not of this world. And there are worldly kingdoms that are uh, at odds with the rule of Christ and compete with him. There's coming a day when it's all one and the same. In fact, forever and ever and ever, the kingdom of the world will be the kingdom of God and of his Christ. So I look forward to the day and for the eternity in which there will be no nook and cranny in the universe that is not at every single moment fully submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? And so here's the glorious uh, concluding truth I want to give, and here it is. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Matthew 5, 5, Jesus says, the meek will inherit the earth. Now, the Jews, they made the mistake of thinking, ah, if I follow Jesus, I have to give up on my dream of of securing the earthly kingdom. But actually, when we put ourselves wholeheartedly into pursuing the kingdom of God right now, and the end of days, it will, everything will be given to us. We will inherit it all. And yet, if we make the mistake of saying, I'm uninterested in the, in the kingdom of God now, because I'm so enamored with the world, you end up losing it all. Am I so enamored with this world that the kingdom of Christ doesn't interest me? Pursuing the kingdom of Christ is the way to inherit it all.